Thank you for reading uh, the scripture for us, Christy. Again, that was Acts chapter 2, 36 through 41 in the NIV version. And we continue this week in our third week in the series of the book of Acts, the Spirit-Infused Multi-Ethnic Church. And today's sermon is entitled Call and Response as we go through uh, the Peter's sermon following Pentecost and to the response of the people there. Um, there's lots to be gleaned from this, and I'm excited to go through this with you. But first of all, let me pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for everyone who um, is tuning in at home or wherever um, they are, and those who will tune in later after, after the live stream. And uh, we pray for your Holy Spirit uh, that is above place, beyond place and beyond time to connect all of us and unify us as your body, the body of Christ, as renewed church and beyond. And we ask for your spirit to infuse us, um, to empower us, and to move us forward in strength and power, um, not of our own uh, might and will, but may we be a church united because of your power um, that brings us together and makes us one um, in your mission to carry the good news and the gospel um, uh, from here and beyond and beyond. In Jesus' name, and the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Father, amen, amen. Uh, last week, we talked about the Pentecost. And in the Pentecost, um, if you remember, uh, the disciples, uh, the apostles, and uh, other followers of Jesus were waiting in the upper room of a home in Jerusalem, just as Jesus has commanded them to do before he ascended into heaven. He said, wait in Jerusalem for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses uh, from Jerusalem, Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so they're waiting in a house, as one household, as one family, praying and waiting. And then all of a sudden, you remember, a blowing, the sound of a blowing, violent wind enters the room, just And then a flame of fire divides into tongue, individual tongues of fire and rests over each individual's um, follower's head. And then they begin to, it busts out, this movement, this empowered um, these empowered followers move out outside of the house where there's a crowd that's gathered. And if you remember, this crowd is uh, coming in. There are Jews, uh, God-fearers, uh, converts to Judaism, but they've uh, migrated into Jerusalem uh, for the festival of the Pentecost. And they're from all parts of the surrounding, uh, of the known kind of, known civilization around the Mediterranean Sea. Um, and they speak different languages. They're part of the diaspora. And they come and gather to hear that all these followers are speaking of the wonders and works of God in their own heart language, in their own, the dialect of their native tongue. And they're amazed and they're perplexed. And some of them are actually mocking um, the disciples. And so this is where we find ourselves as we enter into um, chapter or 
Peter's sermon and response in verse 14. Um, so I'm just going to, I know we didn't read this actual section of Peter's sermon. Just uh, We just uh, read the end part, but I'm going to go through Peter's sermon. I have the verses here um, so you can follow along at home in your Bibles or look at it, look at it afterwards. But I wanted to just break it down. Peter's sermon in verses 14 through 13, uh, 36 so we, we ended with uh, these people hearing the disciples speaking um, in their native tongues. And they say, these people are drunk. It's 9 a.m. in the morning. They're mocking them. But what we see in 14 through 16 is that Peter engages with the objectors and the haters. And his purpose is to bring theological interpretation to the event. Let's call it the event. Pentecost comes, we're going to call it the event, capital E. When the Holy Spirit comes, it unifies. We see this in this in chapter 2 of Acts. It unifies the people and it brings people to greater understanding, not less understanding of the gospel and who God is. It brings greater understanding. And that's the first point. When the Holy Spirit comes, it's not to bring confusion and chaos. It's to bring people together to the knowledge, a fuller knowledge of God. And so this is what Peter is doing as he's debriefing. He's interpreting people. What you just witnessed today, the event, let me tell you. Let me bring an interpretation. And so he says, these men, they are not drunk as you think. Why would they be drunk? It's 9 a.m. So he brings this reason in and then he says... He immediately brings, in verse 17 to 21, he immediately makes a direct connection between the pouring out of the Holy Spirit and this event and the sacred scriptures. Namely, he makes a connection with the words spoken by the prophet Joel, which uh, today you can find in your Bibles in Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people, Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Even your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon will be to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone, everyone, all people who call on the name of the Lord will be saved in those days. This is the prophet Joel in Joel 2, 28 through 32. Friday morning this week on the news, we all, you may have heard our president emerge from his bunker to give a victory speech around um, the May unemployment numbers, which were much better um, than experts have predicted. Of course, when you're in a pit, like one of the worst pits of unemployment ever in the history, and you rise a little, it's gonna look good. It's gonna look unprecedented. Um, But I'm not here to cast blame, but I do wanna point uh, to how Trump is framing information, he framed information to fuel his message. And his message was this, 
and I'm summarizing, I'm paraphrasing, we are pulling out of this thing. I told you we are doing a great job. We have one of the, before the COVID-19, we had the greatest economy. We are on our way to become the greatest economy ever, and we will get back to being the greatest economy ever. And he said, this is good for all people. I'm helping all people, black, brown, Asian, everyone. And then he said something around these lines. George Floyd is smiling down on us this day. This economy, this is a good day for all people. And this was his message. He took his victory lap and many people are talking about, oh, this is a natural response from a president as he's in a campaign year. He's trying to take the numbers and the data and the news and frame it into a narrative that says, yes, we're doing great. Yes, I'm doing a good job. C, C, C. Likewise, Peter is doing a similar thing with the events that happen, with what people are wondering about, what they're perplexed and amazed about. Peter is giving this theological meaning to the events of the day, to this inbreaking of the power of God, the gift of the Holy Spirit that amazes everyone. It's not an everyday event. Like, what is happening? There's real power. There's real miracles happening right in front of us. And Peter is framing this within the context of Scripture, of the Bible, of God's story of salvation all throughout the Holy Scriptures, the Hebrew Scriptures. And he's pointing back to the sacred Scriptures and saying, truly, this prophecy of Joel speaks good news for everyone with the gift of God's Spirit on all people pouring out. We heard Trump say, this is a good day for all people, that the unemployment numbers are up. Peter is saying, the prophet Joel is saying, in the last days, when God pours out His Spirit, it's a good time, a good day, truly for all people. Amen? All people. Young men, old men, women and men, servants, whoever you are, um, wherever you come from, whatever your social economic status is, when God's Spirit is poured out, it brings everyone together and it's good news for everyone. Amen. And then ver in verse 22 through 28, we see that. At, um, um, Peter further connects the dots of the narrative of Scripture uh, by bringing in Jesus, by connecting the life and ministry of Jesus, what people had witnessed about Jesus, his death, um, and then ultimately his resurrection. He's connecting these events for the witnesses there to Jesus Christ and the overall narrative of Scripture. And as a preacher, as a worship leader, as witnesses of Jesus, as the church, we connect the dots of the great story of the Bible, right? I think uh, as, as a Bible reader, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, I don't just take little bits of scripture here and there, a verse here, a verse there, and weaponize it or use it as like proof text. See, 
This is what God is saying. See, this is what life is about. See, this is why you're wrong. See, this is why you're evil. This is why you should repent. But rather, when we hold a worship service like this, we have communal scripture readings, we have call and responses, we have the words of the worship music, and these all tell a story. They connect the dots of what this means, what this means, what this means within the context, within the framework of God's word and God's salvation story. And so this is what Peter is doing. He's connecting the dots of the narrative of scripture by bringing in Jesus. And he's saying, he addresses them saying, you are witnesses. You witnessed Jesus' life, or at least you heard about it, right? It happened just a couple months earlier. You know about his life. You know about all the miracles he did. You know about his love. And you heard about how he is put on trial. You heard about how when he was nailed to the cross. You heard about right, how he is put in the tomb. But let me tell you more. And also, let me convict you. Let me speak truth to you. It's going to be harsh. But let me tell you. Verse 23. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan. Handed over to you. You who are listening here. You, Jews, God-fearers, those who believe in God, Yahweh. Jesus was handed over to you. It was, yes, God's deliberate plan. And he had foreknowledge. But look. People aren't victims of that. Just because it was God's plan and foreknowledge does not mean that people weren't responsible, that people did not sin. And this is Peter's point after in the phrase after. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Yes, God knew about it. Yes, he knew it would happen. And yes, it's part of his overall salvation plan. But that doesn't take away culpability. That doesn't take away the fact that wicked men made choices to put Jesus to death on the cross. And furthermore, he's saying, you put him to death. Ouch! You put him to death. You are complicit. You are complicit. You participated in the evil of the world. You let the powers of the world that put Jesus Christ to death, you let that happen. You participated. You're not innocent. You did nothing. You did not speak up. Maybe you were even in the crowd that said, crucify him, crucify him. You put him on the cross. These are strong words, are they not? And you, you may hear the same word complicit come out in these days, as the protests are going on, as we see, have seen the injustices um, that have happened. Um, and as we discuss and dialogue as a nation, what white privilege is or what systemic injustice is or um, what's wrong with our prison systems or justice system or the incarceration of black and brown bodies, we, you may hear the words such as complicit, like when you are silent or do nothing, 
you are complicit in racism or systemic injustice. What that word means is you participated in it, right? Even if you didn't actively pull the trigger, even if you didn't act, you're not actively a racist person who says racist things. When, when you are silent or when you benefit um, from a system that hurts other people, but it benefits you, that's privilege and that makes you complicit. And this is what Peter is saying. He's saying you nailed Jesus to the cross, to the crowd there. Ouch. Woo. Those are strong words. And we move forward. Verse 29 through 36, Peter presents the patriarch David now to the, uh, now to the people. He connected um, the pouring out of the Spirit to the prophet Joel. Now he brings in King David, the patriarch of the Jewish people. And uh, Peter declares David as a prophet who knew that God had promised one of his descendants, the future Messiah, to his throne. And Peter further points out that because he knew the promise given to him, to David, by God, David spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. Verse 32, God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses. God has raised Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses. Christ is risen. This is what, this is what Peter is pointing out, that King David, as a prophet, was pointing towards the resurrection of the Messiah. He was saying, Jesus, uh, a Messiah, my descendant, will take the throne, and he will not remain in death, but be resurrected. God and Peter is saying, God has reason, re, uh, raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses. Amen. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. Christ is risen. He has risen indeed. This is the Easter, the mantra, the Easter mantra, the Easter celebration, the Easter victory, right? Sound of victory. Peter is saying, don't you know all of Scripture, all of the prophets, all of the law and prophets are pointing to Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and you were witnesses to his life. You saw him die. And let me tell you, these same prophets, these same people said Jesus, the Messiah, will not die, will be resurrected, and will defeat death. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. This is good news. And having been exalted to sit with God, he received the promised Holy Spirit and poured out what you now see and hear. The event that just happened was in the scriptures and it's happening right now in history, right before us. Amazing. So the dismount, the main thesis for Peter, the, the nail to drive it home is that, is this. What you are now hearing and seeing right now, the event, 
is Jesus' pouring out of the Holy Spirit promised by God in the scriptures. This is it. Now is the time. It is the fulfillment. This is the Kairos moment. You who are complicit in the execution of Jesus Christ are now witness to the truth that indeed Jesus is alive and he is Lord and Messiah. This Messiah, do you remember? You read about it. Your parents made you listen in the temple to the reading of the Holy Scriptures. The one whom we have been waiting for. Remember the prophet Joel. Remember the prophet Isaiah. All of the prophets spoke about this Messiah who would come. This is Jesus. It was he. So Peter preaches, he preached, and he calls the people out. Peter spoke truth. Peter framed the events of the day um, theologically as a part of the overarching plan of God, plan of salvation for humanity. And he says to them, you were complicit. You let that happen. You nailed that cross. You said yes to the world. You said yes to the empire and no to the Messiah. That's what Peter is saying. Read it again. Verse 36, Therefore let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Now we get to the response. And that's the end of that slideshow. Um, now we get to the response. And the title of this sermon is Call and Response. Just like in our call to worships or our liturgies or our litanies, you have the leader read something and then you have a response. The people, the congregation, you guys will respond, read, respond, right? This, uh, this whole section in Acts is like a call and response. Peter preaches and then he turns to the people and tells them, uh, and they respond. And let's look at the uh, let's look at the people, the congregation, this early congregation of the church. Their response when the people, verse thirty-seven, when the people heard this, they were what cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other disciples, "Brothers, what shall we do? What shall we do?" How do the people respond? It says they're cut to the heart. Brothers, what shall we do? And this I present to you, I contend, is the right posture for the follower of Jesus to ask the question, what shall I do? When we hear the words of truth spoken to us, the appropriate response is, what will we do? I don't know. I can't do it on my own. I don't have the power on my own, on my strength. I don't have the knowledge. Tell me, how can I change? What can I do from this place of depravity, <laughs> from um, this awareness of the pit of my sin? What is my response?
this is the right posture for the community of faith. What shall we do? And you know what? Especially in the West, especially uh, in the United States, you know, I'm not, I'm not preaching just to you uh, as, a, as a person that doesn't struggle with this myself. We spend a lot of time in our own competence, in our own knowledge. We're smart people. A lot of us go to years and years of school to get educated and to know things. We have a lot of money, right? Maybe you don't think you have a lot of money right now, but relative to the rest of the world, we're rich, right? America was founded on independence and individuality. And so this is our, these are our values. Like we need to be self-reliant. We need to be independent. To need or to ask for help is difficult. Right? Knowledge and pride. And so we spend too much time saying, I know what to do. I know what's up. I'm right. I'm right. I know. I know. I know. And not enough time saying, what shall we do? I know what to do. We will handle this. We'll make a plan and a strategy. You don't know. I know. We'll figure it out. We'll fix this. We're not proud. We do not need to learn, listen, kneel down, wait, confess. We're not complicit. We're not racist. We've not participated in institutional sin and injustices. There is no blood on our hands. We don't contribute to hurting people. I'm not a racist. I'm a nice person. I value everybody. No, no, no. The posture of Jesus' church on the verge of being unleashed in the Holy Spirit is, what shall we do? Put your palms up in the air and receive. I can't do it. What shall we do? And to this question, Peter replies, repent. Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is the beginning of living a renewed life empowered by the Spirit, living the life of grace. It's a gift. God can't use people who know it all. God can't move a community that is proud and unrepentant. In order for the Holy Spirit to infuse herself into you as an individual and use, and use us as a church body, our hearts must be cut like these people on that day. Your heart must be cut, made vulnerable, like you're going through open heart surgery, exposed and open up. And the way that this happens to get cut and opened up in our hearts begins with repentance. That's our part of it. Jesus' part 
he's the great surgeon, the cardiac surgeon, is to then open our heart up and pour. Imagine a body on this table right now, the chest cavity, just ribs broken apart, open. And Jesus is just infusing his Holy Spirit, pouring his Holy Spirit into the open chest, into the heart. Staying alive, staying alive. Uh, 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 staying alive. This is surgery, this infusion. And this surgery isn't a tragedy. It isn't a death sentence. It isn't a condemnation. It truly is good news for all people. It truly is good news for all people. Better news than a positive unemployment report. Better news than the flattening of the curve. Better news than a rising portfolio. Better news than a new job. Better news than your stocks going up. Peter goes on to say, this promise, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not just for the elect few. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not for just the elite special forces of Christians, not just for mature, educated adults or healthy, employed citizens. The promise of this power pouring out is for all people, children, men, women, low, high, here, there, left, right, forward, behind. Good news for all people everywhere. And so this is the call and response. Those who accepted his message that day were baptized. They repented. They were cut to the heart. They repented and they were baptized, right? So in chapter two, including Pentecost, we have wind, we have fire. No, not earth. This is not a band, earth, wind, and fire. We have wind, we have fire, and water of baptism. In chapter 2. And on that day after Peter's sermon, 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And just, just remember how the day started off with a small group of people hiding in a room, praying and waiting. Later on, the end of that day, 3,000 people were baptized and added to their number. The community of faith infused by the Holy Spirit is bringing out a revival and a renewal of people's hearts. People from all parts of the world, from different nations who speak different languages, were at being added in the thousands. That's a miracle. And for us today, you may be asking, what do I do? That's a great question. It begins with being cut to the heart and receiving. Our, 
the appropriate response in this worship time to the word of truth is repentance. Repentance means saying and admitting and acknowledging, yes, I have sinned. No, I'm not Lord and Savior of my own life. Yes, Jesus is alive and Messiah, and I want to turn over the reins to him. We will, not, we will now take time to respond um, with our own repentance time through a liturgy of confession. Here is a call to confession. We do not stop enough to listen to the still speaking God. And like people of Jerusalem long ago, we often misunderstand the Spirit's movement among us. In the silence and stillness of this moment, let us draw near to God and listen. Take some silence. Let us confess together, and you can please read along out loud at home the words um, that will show up on the screen. We confess to you, renewing spirit, that we confuse unity with uniformity and diversity with divisiveness. We speak and behave as if being a part of your family means assimilating others to our way of living. We deny and destroy the beauty you created in each person. We long to change these patterns, O Creator, but we do not know how. Teach us to value challenge. Help us to see strength and difference and empower us to build your kingdom in creativity and love. Forgive us for the ways that we have been complicit in the hurting of the marginalized, for the ways that we have remained silent as our brothers and sisters of different ethnicity, of different races, are hurt by systems that are built against them. Forgive us for being complicit in the midst of injustice and violence in our world and help us to be allies, help us to speak up and help us to act for change. Forgive us, amen. And now for the assurance of God's love. Hear this, hear the good news. God's spirit has been poured out upon all flesh and we have been made one. We are no longer scattered or divided, but gathered together to build up the kingdom on this earth. Thanks be to God.